All right. So now we'll get into the the big BRICS summit, which is still ongoing, mind you. But we do have some interesting things coming out of it for now that we can talk about. And we'll probably do a follow up on this on the next episode to sort of assume that it's over by then. It might be over. It might go on. We'll we'll do updates on the BRICS summit as it goes on, because this is a merry, a merry, a merry major. Oh, goodness. Where's my English? A very major. There we go. This is a very major summit. This is huge. This is the Bretton Woods of the multipolar world. This is it. This is where the the whole world comes together to decide what the new system, the new global system is going to be. And the what the new rules of engagement are going to be, how we operate in it, what what's the new settlement currency? Is it going to be someone nationals, someone's national currency, or is, is it going to be this inter, this international trade settlement currency? Who's going to be a part of it? Who's not going to be a part of it? You know, the big issues, trade, settlements, uh, disputes. It's all on the table. It's all on the table. So this is a very major summit. And we're going to talk about it. So last week, it, 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 it continued because it started prior to last week's episode so this is a very big thing just in terms of the length of it all now at the summit a number of things were discussed particularly the expansion of the organization as well as de-dollarization now these are things that we said that i said as much was going to happen because these were topics on everyone's mind what exactly does de-dollarization looks look like are we going to do trade in local currencies are we going to do this new BRICS currency, what's the new BRICS currency going to be named? When do we expect that to come out? The logistics of it, are we expanding the BRICS or is everyone just going to be an affiliate of the BRICS and we're just, you're just going to watch while the core BRICS members go forward? You know, these are some of the primary things that were up for discussion prior to the summit. Now, the BRICS, the BRICS gold-backed trade settlement currency has not been implemented yet. They they haven't come to a, a conclusive agreement on that yet. They want to do it, but they haven't worked out the logistics of it just yet. So it's in the works. It's in the works. Still doesn't have a name. So we'll continue to call it the BRICS currency. But that is in the in the works. So de-dollarization is eventually going to lead to that settlement currency. All right. So that's what's going to happen sometime later on down the line. How long? Not entirely sure. Maybe 20. I feel like twenty. this time 2024 would be a bit of a rush. But things are moving really, really fast. So I I can't put it past the, the fact that we, the possibility that we might see a BRICS currency being rolled out at this time next year. But I, I'd say certainly by 2025, 2026, we're going to start to see the this currency start being rolled out. And again, it could move a lot faster than that because things, events have just been moving at breakneck speed these past few months. Ever since the war in Ukraine started, developments have just been moving at lightning speed. So I don't put it past the bricks to put this currency out or to even fast forward its development as the United States slips further into a depression. And as we continue to hyperinflate the currency, because 
there's really no upper limit on how much we, money we can print until after the 2024 election. And that was a big gripe that I I missed when I initially covered that uh that the budget battle in Congress, if you remember that uh the debt ceiling debate where I initially praised them for putting limits on it, and then I realized that there was no upper limit, so I had to come back. So yeah, there's they can print as much money as they want until after the 2020 election. Uh, the 2020, the 2024 election. They can print as much money as they want. So there's a real possibility that as these people in our government hyper and hyper and hyper inflate our currency to no end, the BRICS countries might be put in a position where they have no choice but to fast forward uh, the rollout of the internet, of the gold-backed trade settlement currency. And I... I stress that it's going to be a trade settlement currency rather than just a currency because it's not necessarily going to be something you like you use on the street for your regular uh, transactions. It's going to be there for interbank payments and uh, the transition of currencies like I mean the exchange of currencies, excuse me. So if you want to use uh, trade in local currencies, you can have you could have the settlement currency as the intermediary. Uh, or perhaps if you are a part of the BRICS, you can have your own currency and a, a, a load of the settlement currency, and you can use the settlement currency to exchange for the currency of whatever country you're doing trade with. If you're not doing, if you don't have a a, a local currencies type deal between you and that country, or or perhaps uh, you you're too far away and you you don't feel like a a local currency swap you don't do it enough trade between each other to justify doing local currency trade so you rely on the settlement currency to facilitate the trade between your two countries like there's a great number of ways that this can go down once it's implemented but yeah the the inflation of america's dollar by these people who have no restraint and no upper limits right now there's no upper limit until after 2024 there's a possibility we could see the BRICS currency rolled out a lot faster than we think because we could see inflation just shoot up a lot faster than we think in the United States. And that would be dangerous for us and, quite frankly, a little unstable for the rest of the world. I don't think that these guys want to rush the BRICS currency, but we might we, we might see a situation like that play out. So keep your eyes open for that, especially if you live in the United States or if you have anything based in dollars. Keep your eyes off of that. I know I am. I am a little anxious. I'm trying to set myself up so I can benefit from the crash. Because, you know, everything becomes cheaper during the crash. It's just a matter of surviving the crash itself. Because, shoot, if you can survive the crash with some dough left over, you can go buy yourself a house. You can can go get that car you wanted. And you can actually own things instead of, oh, I got a mortgage. Instead of $60,000 down on a house, if if you can weather the storm, mind you. And that's the biggest part. That, that's the part that worries me, is that I and my family may or may not be able to weather that storm. But if you can weather the storm, everything's cheap. Everything on, everything's on sale now. Everything's on sale. And you can go you can go buy that house for what used to be a down payment. You can go buy that car for what used to be a down payment. <laughs> and hell, if you have some left over, you can go invest in the stocks while they're at rock bottom. And so you're going to make multiple X returns on the way back up. 
Uh, no, granted, you're probably going to want to wait for the crash to really finish because you country companies go bankrupt and then they just go out of business and you don't want to be left holding that bag whether you have a thousand ten thousand dollars sunk into a company so uh, do exercise your own caution when doing these things like i'm just giving you general ideas of what's possible during a recession uh but again it's all about weathering that storm and i'm trying to weather that storm i'm trying to, I'm trying to get ready I'm trying to get ready uh but yeah we are we're, we're in for a very rough one here in the united states all my fellow americans we are in for a very rough one but at the very least i do have hope that things will get better on the other end because uh you know we have trump you know <laughs> we do and that's not just politics that's it's policy it's not just politics it's policy that's sir but for now back to the BRICS summit they a lot of BRICS members and affiliates have agreed to conduct more trade in local currencies or a sort of a short and medium term measure while the BRICS currency itself is sort of being worked out. So that's the stopgap measure. Their, their goal is de-dollarization and they're making major moves towards that. And this was happening even before the BRICS summit where you had China and Russia doing trade in yuan and rubles. You had Russia and Turkey doing trade in lira and rubles. You had, um, I think it was Iran and another country doing trade in local currencies. You had China and Arabia doing trade in uh, yuan. And what's the what's the Arabian currency? What's the Arabian currency? I forget. But they were doing trade with each other. India and Indonesia was doing trade in rupees. And dang, I'm blanking on my currencies. But yeah, you had lots of uh, local currency deals being worked out all around the world and even uh, on a side note, you had ASEAN talking about getting rid of their usage of MasterCard, which is just a really massive blow to the U.S. finance. Uh, a lot of people vacation, and you know, the last thing you want to be is that guy showing up in Indonesia, trying to use your credit card, and he's like, oh, we don't accept that. You're broke. It's like, hey, I paid all this money to get here. But yeah. They're moving forward with de-dollarization both in and outside of the BRICS. So this is definitely a very real trend, not just something uh, that's going to be transitory. Or or maybe if we're in the Fed, we'll say it's transitory and then we'll realize, oh, if we don't, if the root cause of this doesn't go away, it's not transitory. You know. So, uh, so uh, as the people in the Fed would say, this is transitory, which means <laughs> that it's going to continue. It's going to continue on. And so de-dollarization is moving forward. They're moving towards the BRICS currency. It's not ready yet, uh, but I have a feeling it's going to be uh, pushed out faster than we might expect. Or faster than they probably want, but pretty fast. A year or two, give or take. And on the matter of expansion of the BRICS, as of now, Argentina, Egypt, Ethiopia, Iran, Saudi Arabia, and the United Arab Emirates have all become full members of the BRICS, effective January 1st of 2024. So that's six new members. So the, the BRICS, in terms of official members, have now doubled in size, more than doubled, actually, because they've added six and there was only five before. So they've doubled. So, uh, and isn't it interesting how no one's that whole russia's isolated narrative has now just conveniently vanished from from the headlines remember how russia was isolated for the, for a year and a half 
remember how they were they were isolated now and and now no one talks about russia being isolated no one talks about that anymore hmm it's almost as if it wasn't true but you know what that that's just why you guys listen to me you know i i just give it to you straight i mean yeah i try my best and you know it's, it ain't easy being better than the propaganda press i tell you it's it's a little bit of work out here but you know it's worth it <laughs> it's worth it but yeah it's clear that that narrative is dead and that the world is moving on irrespective of what we have to say about it now does that mean we have to go join the club no we really don't we don't what are, what are we going to do in bricks i mean we like again we we really don't need to be a part of a club we could just do trade with everybody and then go and mind our own business and then we don't need to be concerned about these alliances we we can just be an associated power that's what we can be that's the epitome of american freedom both internally and externally but that would require a strong robust economy inside the united states which again we need trump for and granted look it's not like i'm knocking every candidate on the field it's just that trump is the only one that has the foreign policy right everyone else has this weird ideas about us going to fight a war somewhere for some reason Trump has to come in, reorient the United States, get rid of all the the trash, here are these alliances, or or hell, we can let Joe Biden destroy them for us. I, I think that that's going to be in store for us when the Ukraine shit goes down. Mm. I think that the knives are going to come out and then NATO is just going to all but die as an effective unit. And then Trump can just be the one to come along and formalize it and pull the United States out. That, that now that would be some good shit but yeah trump has to come along get us out of these commitments one by one whether by negotiation or just by leaving he has come in renegotiate the trade expose the the idea that all these countries around the world are our enemies and just do trade with them and then we can move forward and from there from there all these other candidates who I do like on the domestic policy side of things, they will have no choice but to focus on domestic policies. And then we get real and innovative solutions to America's problems, and that becomes the new status quo for American politics. That, that's something to strive for, but we have to have Trump in order to get there because no one else is going to get the foreign policy right. No one else is going to get the foreign policy right to the point where we can focus exclusively on domestic policy. So, uh, uh, I hate for this episode but, uh, uh, to be nothing but an endorsement of Trump, but you know, I, I got to do it. I got It's for the safety of our country. We, we need that nigga. <laughs> Niggas for Trump. <laughs> we need it. We need him. But yeah, he he has to come in and basically reconfigure the entirety of American foreign policy such that every candidate that comes after him focuses exclusively on domestic policy. And then we'll have real prosperity in the United States again and continuity of policy cuz once you get rid of the, once you throw the foreign policy out and it's just a matter of domestic policy, we can different parties can start to build on policy instead of throwing everything out the second a new president comes in. We can have a little bit of continuity in policy and that's good for business which means it's good for us you know i do believe that 
we will prosper a lot during this multipolar world. Now, do we need to be a part of the BRICS? No. But the BRICS is expanding. What does that mean to us? It means uh, it means nothing. <laughs> like all these people saying, oh, the, the BRICS is expanding. This is a, a threat to the U.S. No, it's not. How are they threatening us? How exactly are they threatening us? What, because they don't want to use our currency? That we sabotage ourselves by hyperinflating it? How are they threatening us? If anything, we're threatening them by sabotaging the dollar when everybody uses the dollar. Like, a, a little bit of self-reflection goes a long way. A little bit of self-awareness goes even, even farther away. But yeah, it's it's not a matter of who's threatening who. It's a matter of interests and orientation. And America's unfortunately oriented the wrong way. We're oriented in a way where everything is our enemy and we have to fight everything, which is why we need Trump to come in and break that up so we can get back to doing business with the world. And then it doesn't matter who owns what. It doesn't matter who produces this amount of oil and who, who produces this amount of this commodity. If the United States is dependent on its own oil, its own energy, its own resources, you know, all these would cease being factors in American politics. But that would require a massive overhaul at home that nobody in power right now is willing to do because they hate America. But yeah, so we have six countries joining the BRICS. Uh, all this can be beneficial for the United States. And I'm sure that they would more than welcome us if we didn't try to, you know, screw with them so much. Uh, and I look forward to the day when we can just do business with all of them and we'll benefit. They'll benefit. We'll benefit. Everybody benefits. Now, I put up an infographic on my Twitter regarding the bricks that I got from this uh, uh, from the visual capitalist showing the bricks uh, on a map. And it was, again, it was an infographic. And so it had these bars at the bottom talking about the percentage of economy, population, uh, trade, and oil production. So, And I, I put it up on my Twitter, This Week in Geopolitics, or HW Geopolitics, I think that's the handle. So, you know, just a minor shout out to my Twitter. Go on, <coughs> go on and follow me if you don't. But I put it up there. And so I'll share some of the, the contents with you right now, which is uh, the bricks now represent... 29% of the global economy altogether. Now, obviously, China is disproportionate, has a disproportionate share of that, uh, China and Russia. Although, I forget if it was using uh, nominal or PPP terms when it talked about GDP, but either way, China is disproportionate, disproportionately accounted for that in that figure, the 29%. So, nearly a third of the world's economy, well, nearly 30%, 46% of the world's population, uh, China and India, duh. <laughs> So uh, I'm pretty sure that alone is like uh, the 40% out of the 40 out of the 46%. So uh, yeah, 3 billion people just between those two alone, which is insane. But you know, we should try, we should try for a million people, you know, United States, imagine that from us with a billion people, <laughs> I'm getting ideas, but yeah, we have 46% of the world's population in the bricks represented. And then you have 43% of the world's oil production also represented by the BRICS members, uh, again, with the inclusion of those Middle Eastern states, Egypt, Arabia, duh, the UAE, duh, <laughs> and Iran, whose oil production is slowly but steadily recovering. 
So four out of the six members that have been added to this alliance are massive oil producers. Well, Egypt isn't necessarily a massive oil producer, but they're all made three for the four are major, major oil producers. Uh, so it's clear to see where that's coming from. Uh, uh, well, and that's just counting the new additions because obviously Russia is there too. And they're just ridiculous oil producer as well. They're up there with Saudi Arabia. So, yeah, 29% of the, the global economy, 46% of the world's population, 43% of the world's oil production, and a quarter, 25% of the world's total trade volume. So, very big block. Very big block. And they say they're not a block, which is why I've sort of refrained from calling them that, but, you know, very big organization, you know. So, it's clear that they already have enough wherewithal and bulk to operate independently of anything the U.S. or the U.S. alliance system has to say about it. Sanctions are not going to stop what's happening here. Uh, forcing them to use the dollar isn't an option. You know, uh, And it's it, crazy that no one really has an answer to this. Uh, the answer to me is simple. You know, we, if we should go back to gold. Like it, The answer for me is completely independent of what's going on with the BRICS. But it simultaneously works right alongside with the BRICS because, again, the United States really doesn't need to be hostile to everything going on overseas. Like, we talk about, oh, they want to get rid of the dollar and they want to ditch the dollar. They want to have their own trade settlement currency. They want to have their BRICS currency. Oh, the, the yuan is going to replace the dollar. It's like, okay. And why wouldn't they want to replace the dollar? We barely like the dollar here. Five, who likes $5 a gallon? Shoot, give me, give me the BRICS currency so I can get that shit for $1 a gallon. <laughs> like, we already know there's a problem here, but for some reason, when foreign countries respond to that problem, it now it's a problem. It's like, oh, they don't want to use the dollar anymore. Well, well no shit. Who wants to use a rapidly, de a rapidly inflating currency? A rapidly devalued currency. Who wants to use that when they have alternatives? I know I don't. I don't like going to the store and seeing that everything is up every couple months or so. Like, come on now. And the solution is completely independent of foreign policy. Stop printing money. Right off the bat, the currency will stop losing value. And as the economy grows and the supply of money stays the same, you have, in relative terms, a shrinking of the supply relative to the demand for the dollar because if the economy grows that means the demand for the dollar grows but if the supply stays the same you have a shrinkage in relative terms it's that easy hell you back it with gold and you can set it at a certain amount and then as the economy grows and again you're not printing money as the economy grows and the value of the dollar goes up you can you can set the exchange rate at lower and lower and lower numbers it takes fewer and fewer and fewer dollars to buy that gold because there's relative to the size of the economy fewer and fewer dollars in circulation and you can slowly but surely rebuild the value of the dollar it's really simple like when you take the time to think about this stuff without all the, the jargon it's incredibly simple if you want to stop inflation you don't raise interest rates you stop printing money <laughs> and then that has the effect of creating a 
in relative terms, again, a shrinkage of the money supply relative to the growth of the economy. You get deflation, prices go down, the value of the currency goes up. Now, why this is not the economic uh, status quo, it tells you a lot about the laziness of your intellectuals, particularly when it comes to economics or uh, they all subscribe to that Keynesian trash, that modern monetary. Ugh, ugh. I remember studying. And the crazy thing is I got straight A's in my AP Mac class, AP macroeconomics class. And even then I'm just like, yeah, I'm not digging this. <laughs> it's, not that, it's not that I don't understand what they're telling me. It's that this shit literally doesn't make sense. <laughs> None of this makes any sense. You're going to print money. All right, you're going to go into debt. Okay. And then you just pay off the debt. Well, what's the incentive to do that? If you can just borrow more money. Oops. Didn't figure, didn't take that one into account. Now, did we? That's why Keynes is not an economist. Certainly not one that deserves credibility. That's why Marx is not an economist. So we need to stop taking these so-called economists and treating them as though they were economists when they're not. None of these people know economics. Marx was a social commentator and Keynes was a failed investor. Let's, let's, let's keep it together now. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it, there's nothing we sanctions are not going to stop what's happening here. And gold is the new future. Gold is the new future. And if we had our currency back to gold, no one would care about, oh, this country, that country is not using our dollar. No one would care about de-dollarization going on with the BRICS if our dollar was worth a damn here. It's because our dollar is devalued and constantly devalued that we're now afraid that if they ditch the dollar, that it's going to hyperinflate even more because they're going to send it right back at us because no one's going to want it. Why does no one want the dollar? It's not because they just randomly hate us now, although some of them do. It's because the dollar is worth it's losing value by the second. Why would you hold on to a depreciating asset? It's like, let's just think about this in terms in something other than us versus them terms. It's. It's uh, sometimes I feel so alone <laughs> speculating and observing the trends in geopolitics and in politics because it's sort of a part of the game. And it's like, dang, am I just wrong <laughs> or is everyone else just crazy? Now, I do not mind accusing everyone else of being crazy. I'll be I'll admit I like to think I'm the sane one in this equation. But, you know, there's always the possibility that I'm just wrong. You know, maybe it's not as simple as I make it out to be with regards to inflation. Maybe we do need double. In, uh, as a matter of fact, we need triple digit. Uh, we need triple digit, uh, triple digit. Uh, dang. We need triple digit. What's the word? I'm blanking. Interest rates. We need triple digit interest rates. We don't need. 10 and 20% interest. We need 100% interest and that'll kill inflation. Oh yeah. You want to kill inflation. You you get that 100% interest rate and see how fast that inflation. Maybe that's the solution, you know? We're not just be we're just not being tough enough on inflation. We're not we're just not doubling down enough on the current system, which doesn't work. We're just not doing it hard enough, you know? Maybe I'm wrong. And I always have to leave it out there. Maybe the BRICS isn't going to succeed. Maybe the BRICS aren't going to have a good currency for international payments. Maybe everyone's still going to be using the dollar and everyone's going to suffer because the dollar plunges in value from the inflation. You know, maybe I'm wrong. 
or maybe everyone else is crazy. You know, you know, it's a 50 50. You know, I'll, I'll take my 50 where everyone else is wrong and I'm right. <laughs> but yeah, we can coexist with the BRICS. And the BRICS summit is moving forward in a way that isn't hostile towards us, no matter what people will say about it. Oh, the BRICS is this, all oh, the BRICS is that. It's literally just a meeting of countries who have their own interests at heart and are trying to work out a system, a, a international system that benefits everyone, specifically themselves, but everyone. Now, we can either be a part of the solution by not sabotaging it and not sabotaging our dollar, quite frankly. We could help by not in hyperinflating our currency. <laughs> or we can go out of our way to sabotage it and still fail. Like, and the reason I keep bringing up America when I'm talking about the BRICS summit is because the two, when it comes to policy, are not necessarily interchangeable, but they're definitely related. They're definitely related. Uh, again, going back to the BRICS currency thing, why do they want a BRICS currency? Why don't they like the dollar? It's because the dollar is a depreciating, uh, a depreciating asset caused by hyperinflation. And because we use the dollar to sanction everybody and freeze everyone's assets, the Afghan, the Afghans, the Taliban, they still have their assets frozen. We froze Russia's assets. We froze Assad's. We freeze everyone's assets every time they they do something we don't like. Nobody wants to have to deal with that. Not a single soul wants to have to deal with that. We made this. We made this an inevitability. Now we're not going to be able to just randomly turn the tide and get everyone to come back to the dollar. No, that that ship is sailed. But that doesn't mean we have to sabotage it. So it's we want to correct for the problems that we've done, but we don't want to over correct, quote unquote, and start causing new problems because people don't want to use the dollar anymore. So I think it's all interconnected, but not to the point where it's an inverse relationship where the better bricks does the worse we do. It's, it's not to that point. Like they're going to do what's in their interest. And so long as we actually act within our own interests, we'll, we're going to find that the two really don't clash. America acting in actual American interests, not these fake manufactured interests of we need to control everything everywhere. We need to have influence everywhere. We need to counter Chinese influence everywhere. Those fake interests, if we cast those by the wayside and actually look at what America needs, you know, trade trade access you know and security not security in europe not security in the indo-pacific region or the middle east but security in north and south america if we focus on those things our interests really don't clash with any one of the BRICS nations now it'll clash with russia and china trying to set up bases in cuba it'll clash with nicaragua opening the doors for Russian missiles to be based in Nicaragua. It'll clash with Venezuela a little bit, but again, these are things that can be worked out if we are actually focused on American interests. We should have a relationship with Cuba, relationship with Venezuela, and relationship with Nicaragua, to, such that they don't openly enable themselves to be weaponized against us. Like Again, I was talking about this. When we talked about that 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 base that the Chinese and the Russians are trying to set up, the, the spy the Chinese spy base, and then we learned about the Russians getting active in Cuba as well. This is a result of not having a, a relationship at all with Cuba. This is the the result. Our if our neighbors hate us, 
they know they can't fight us by themselves, they're going to open the door for foreign powers to come in and counter us in some way, shape, or form. And the reason that that, is, that, that happens is because we're overseas. The, the reason that those said foreign powers even come over here in the first place, because at, 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 at least in this go-around, is because we provoke them. The Chinese and the Russians would not be doing naval drills off the Aleutian Islands and of the coast of Hawaii. They would not be setting up spy bases and military training bases in Latin America, especially Cuba. They wouldn't be doing these things if we did not go out of our way to provoke them with uh, freedom of the seas navigation, freedom of navigation and freedom of the seas operations in the South China Sea, promising to defend Taiwan, sending destroyers to the Taiwan Straits, arming Ukraine to the teeth with everything we have, expanding NATO into Finland and Sweden, trying to expand NATO into Ukraine, putting missile bases in Poland that are anti-ballistic missile, uh, but uh, but they can easily be replaced with ballistic missiles, which can carry nuclear warheads, which is the problem. You know, we, we wouldn't be dealing with these problems if we didn't go out of our way to create them. If we actually serviced American interests, which are very, very close to home, had good relations with our neighbors, that's in America's interest, and didn't go out of our way to go start wars with foreign powers, that's not in American interest. If we abided by actual, real American interests, we would get along just fine with the BRICS. So I, personally, and maybe you disagree with me, I personally don't see the reason why we need to be so up in arms and afraid of the multipolar world. Why we have to be afraid of Russia and afraid of China. They really don't want to fight us. We just put them in, the, we just put them in these strange situations. They really don't want to be doing this. Which is why it takes it took them so long to get around to it. it. It takes them ages to get around to actually countering the things the United States does in a way that you know Americans actually notice where they come all the way over here to do shit. They really don't want to do that. Like they have to go out of their way to do this shit. And they do it because we go out of our way to be over there. So a simple adjustment. I say a simple, but it's a pretty wide-reaching adjustment of U.S. policy, particularly foreign policy. And suddenly, all the dynamics of the day, including the BRICS and the development of the BRICS, work in our favor. Trade with everyone and alliance with no one solves just about all of America's uh, political woes. And it would actually benefit the BRICS if we shifted to that position. Because at that point, we'd be almost a sort of de facto BRICS member. If we were committed to trade with every every country who joined BRICS, it's like, hey, you want to trade deal with the United States? Oh, okay, cool. You want to trade deal with the United States? Okay, you know, work, make it work for you instead of trying to fight every damn thing. Make it work for you. Get a deal with Russia. Get a deal with China. Get a deal with Iran, Saudi Arabia, the UAE, Egypt, Ethiopia, Argentina. You know, now who in America is going to get you that deal? Trump. <laughs> and then suddenly the BRICS summit, which is uh, uh, again, like the Bretton Woods of the new multipolar world. They are the BRICS, perhaps not in this summit specifically, but as they have the next summit and the summit after that, they're going to be building, uh, excuse the pun, but they're going to be building, they're going to be laying down the BRICS. 
are the foundation of the new multipolar world. Now we can either be in on the tank or we can stay out here and look goofy <laughs> when it's all said and done. I want the benefits. All right. Give me the benefits. We can have them and it would benefit everybody. Like the bricks, they have, let's see, let's go back. They have quarter of the world's total trade, quarter of the world's total trade, 30% of the population, 46% of the world's, uh, oh, 40, 46% of the population, 30% of the global economy, 30, 43% of the world's oil production. You know, for the, for what, the resources that we do produce, like, that, like that's massive markets. That's 46% of the global population during a time when the population is 8 billion. That's a massive market. And you can get in just by having a trade with even a single BRICS member because you know they're going to be doing lots of trade in between BRICS members once this thing really, really gets off the ground. You have a, a good trade deal with, say, China and India. It's a wrap. You have trade with everybody now. See how that works. And then China and India with more trade brings more to the table when discussing matters of BRICS. It all, it, it becomes a, a positive feedback loop. Like the BRICS have all the wherewithal to completely go independently of the United States. But imagine if United States was not overtly hostile to literally everything that we didn't control. Imagine for just a second that the United States was open to doing trade with the BRICS instead of trying to sabotage everything. That would benefit us, that would benefit the BRICS, that would benefit all the new members who want to join the BRICS, that would give the green light to all the people who want to join the BRICS but don't know if that's going to piss off the Americans. It's like, oh, you, look, we're going to work in our interests, you work in your interests. And then, and then the BRICS expands, and as it expands, because it's a trading block, essentially. They, again, they don't they don't like being called a block, but uh, uh, this trading partnership, mind you, if we get a few access, uh, a few trade deals to have market access to a few, just a select few countries in that organization, China and India being at the top of the list, Russia also being at the top of the list, I, I really think we would get a lot of a, a deal with Russia. We could work that we could work a Russia deal way better than any other deal. Like, it'd be insane. You get trade with Russia, China, India. Uh, well, quite frankly, that's all the market you're ever going to need. That on uh, that on top of the U.S. market, because we're talking about U.S. producers of goods. That's huge. That is huge. So you get a deal with China, India, Russia. You get a deal with Egypt. You get a deal with Iran. You get a deal with Brazil, Argentina. Suddenly, you have access to every continent and every strategic point everything is available for american trade in some way shape or form e even if it has to go through third parties in say china india russia or iran or egypt or brazil or argentina a few strategically placed trade deals would give us access to everything that the BRICS and the belt and road everything it has to offer we get a trade deal with uh uh, just a, a handful of countries in the East African community, and we have access to uh, damn near all of Africa. Like, again, us working on our interests, them working on their interests, they don't cross. 
in ways that cause conflict. They cross in ways that generate prosperity. So imagine how much better this whole thing would work out if we had a United States that was actually acting in its own interest instead of acting as though it was uh, an empire, which we're really not supposed to be. This whole thing would go so much smoother They'd be talking about gold and we'd be like, oh, you know what? Gold, that's a really good idea. What if we put our currency on gold? Oh, wow. Suddenly we don't have any inflation anymore because there's limits to how much you can print your currency when you have a gold-backed currency. You can only print as much currency as you have gold to represent that currency. Suddenly the inflation stops. Suddenly you get deflation. And then you'll start to get countries that say, you know, maybe we don't necessarily need to ditch the dollar, we're going to keep the dollar. We're going to we're going to have the BRICS uh, trade back settlement on, on hand, but we're going to keep our dollars and we'll use the trade settlement as the intermediary when we exchange either our currency or dollars for the goods of another country. And suddenly the whole thing, even the new BRICS currency can work for us. See how it all just see how it works. <laughs> see how it works. But no, we, we, we can't have anything good. Why? Because our government hates us. And they hate every, they hate everyone, quite frankly. Because all this would benefit not just Americans, it would benefit the whole world. It would benefit the whole world. We'd have a golden age globally if the United States was not captured by these anti-humanists. And that's all, uh, just another reason why we need Trump. Yeah. Uh, I may as well title the episode, uh, The Case for Trump. But uh, I'll, I'll title it The Big Brick Summit. That's what, probably what I'll call it. Or something along those lines, but yeah, yeah, the, the the BRICS summit is still ongoing, so we'll we'll still cover news that comes out of it. But it's just really interesting comparing and contrasting what we're seeing today with how easily this whole thing could be so much different and, quite frankly, better if the, we had a, a United States led by people who weren't incompetent and didn't hate humanity for existing. I, ho- I hope I've laid my vision out on you and you sort of see where I'm coming from, where it's like, oh, wow, this whole thing could go so much, could go even better than it's already going. And instead of having uh, strange people on Twitter going, oh, the bricks will never work. <laughs> instead of having that, we go, oh, wow, the bricks, more trade for the United States. Cool. And then everyone benefits. It's that simple. You know, we just need the right leadership. And I guess that goes to show the importance of leadership. Ah, uh, just a little bit longer and we can finally have the right man for the job back. But that's what we're going to continue coming to the BRICS Summit. I think it'll come to a close sometimes. If it doesn't, we'll, we'll, we'll keep covering it. But, you know, it's, it's very important. It's very important. And the way the United States responds to the BRICS Summit is equally as important. So... We'll keep covering this topic, but uh, that's, that's all. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think I've covered all my notes for the Brick Summit. Yeah, have I? Uh, have I? Let's go over the notes, let's go over the notes, let's go over the notes. Oh, right, 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 right. The commodities, well, uh, I'll, touch, I'll touch on this and then I'll move on. The commodities, all, all these countries with all these commodities, especially the oil producing countries, with all these commodities producers, especially Russia, the big boy, Brazil, Saudi Arabia, Iran, these major commodities producers all being represented in the BRICS makes it so that 
their ability to support a gold-backed or potentially even a commodities-backed settlement currency that'll be independent of the West. It'll be independent of the U.S. alliance system because they can they have the wherewithal to produce whatever commodity, likely gold, that they choose to back the currency in. And I think that that's a very important detail because if you're going to have a gold-backed settlement currency, but you don't produce the gold, well, who he who produces the gold has a toe hold over you. But I don't think they're going to have that problem. So that's just one more reason why the BRICS, I think, is going to be successful even in their endeavor towards building the new BRICS currency. So that's my that my final point on the BRICS. My final point. The United States also has gold, mind you. We just don't extract it in the amounts that we should. Now imagine if they used American gold for their BRICS currency. See, oh my goodness. Oh, I'm, you, I, you got me thinking, guys. You got me thinking. And now I'm just looking at all these missed opportunities. And it's just, ah, it's a headache. But I'm, I'm going to move on. I'm going to move on. <laughs> I'm going to move on. This segment was taken from my podcast, This Week in Geopolitics. I have new episodes every Monday, so if you like what you heard, consider giving me a follow. Thanks for listening, and hopefully I'll see you next time. Servus.